Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago. <laughs> that music. <laughs> okay, I felt like I was in one of those really huge, gigantic European churches where nobody is. But it's okay. It all felt very holy to me. So good morning and welcome to Advent, y'all. Okay, I got to say something about the decorations. They're just, I walked in not having seen, yeah, right? It's so beautiful. We have Tyler and, and Bob and Catherine. We have our, our worship team to thank for this beautiful stuff. We have our Justice and Mercy team to thank for the lobby where all the trees are, all the giving trees and stuff. So I just, I love this season. So here we are, first week of Advent. And as many of you know, Advent actually means, it's a, it's a Latin word for, for coming. And it is a way that we celebrate or a way that we recognize and anticipate and contemplate um, this coming season and the, and the real meaning of Christmas. We place ourselves in a posture of hope and certainty and remember that where we are now is not our home and that we have some things to look forward to, that the world with all of its suffering and strife will one day be made new, and that we remember that, um, that there are three angles from which we celebrate this holiday, this season. The first is we consider and we contemplate how Israel waited 2,000 plus years ago for the coming Messiah. And and where they just anticipated and hoped. We also think about ourselves in our present day life and how we wait for Christ to come into our lives moment by moment, day by day, season by season. But also we wait on his future coming, not as a baby, but as a king and a judge one day. He will return to earth for his people. So the passage we're going to gather around for the four weeks is found in Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah, for those of you who don't know, it's one of my favorite books, but it is, it is this sweeping, breathtaking, beautiful, amazing book from the prophet Isaiah. It shows us every single emotion of God. He goes from loving and caring to angry and frustrated. It shows his relationship with man at its best and us at our worst and God at his most merciful and us together at our most loved. I remember seeing an interview with Eugene Peterson and they were talking to him about how he met Bono, who became a really great friend of his one day. And the interviewer was talking about how Bono had read Run With the Horses by Eugene Peterson. And he contacted him because he wanted to ask him some questions about it, because you're Bono and you can do that. So Bono contacts Eugene Peterson and he says, you know, I, I would love to just discuss this book with you and discuss some of the things that you have to say. And he said, well, I couldn't go because I was working on the message version of the Bible and I was busy. And so the interviewer looks at him and he says, you're too busy to go on tour with Bono because Bono invited him to go on tour so he could talk about the Bible. And so he says, yeah, I was, I was busy. I was working on the message. And the interviewer says to him, but this is Bono. 
And he says, but it was Isaiah. <laughs> and he just did not miss a beat. And I, I get it. I completely get it because Isaiah gives us the most comprehensive look in the Old Testament at the life of Jesus, the prophetic word on the life of Jesus. We see the announcement of his coming in Isaiah. We see the virgin birth prophesied in Isaiah. We see the forerunner, John the Baptist, prophesied in Isaiah. We see Jesus' sacrificial death, and we see prophecies about his coming, his return. And so the text for our series is found in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. That's tucked in the center of these three books, 60, 61, and 62, which are these really beautiful poems that express God's promise to have mercy on his people and return for them and to do for them what they certainly don't deserve or what we certainly don't deserve. And let's look at the text. So it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the, for the display of his splendor. Now we're going to be here in this passage for the next four weeks and these prophecies, these specific ones, and along with, if you read 60, 61, and 62 to put it all in context, but this paragraph, these paragraphs in particular, these parts of the poem were uh, words that were like water, like a balm to Israel because it met a very discouraged and angry and bitter people. They were confused by their exile and they were in a really hard place. And so these promises give them something that sees them where they are and gives them something to look forward to that is spectacular and unimaginable. Now, they didn't just give them something to look forward to, but it gave them the thing to look forward to because everything in the history of Israel was leading up to these promises. Everything that we find in Genesis, all the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, all the promises made to Joseph, all the promises made to David, all the things that God had spoken, not just through his prophets, but through his people, through the way they lived their lives, every single promise was leading up to this very thing, the very coming of the Messiah who would save God's people, that God promised with his outstretched hand to get to his people and to save his people. And so the words also meet us here in 2021, in our ashes and mourning, in our despair and in our poverty, in our own darkness and in our bondage. You saw the Christmas trees out in the front and you saw the video last week for the Bible Project and you see that there is so much need in the world. If you didn't see any of that, just walk down the street. Just look at the news. Just hear the crying and the wailing and the suffering of people. Throughout history, it's heard now. It's heard today. And so as a church, we hope 
and we wait and we look forward and we expect God to come to us and to come to others through us. So home base for today is going to be Isaiah 61 and 1, and we're not even going to get through the whole thing. So that verse says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captive, for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So what we see, the first thing we see in this verse is this, we see, we don't see the word Trinity in Scripture anywhere, but we see our triune God. We see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The very first words of this verse, the Spirit of the Sovereign God is on me. And so you see Father, Son, and Spirit. And so you know that this is like kind of a big deal, right? And we see this actually played out again and repeated when Jesus is baptized. We see the same three when Jesus is baptized. And we see in Luke 3.22, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Literally, the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus in that moment. It becomes this this life visualization, this, this real life example of this passage. And if the words seem familiar to you, it's because Jesus uses them to launch his public ministry. In Luke 4, the very next chapter we find in verses 16 through 21, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, well, back up. So he gets baptized, right? Then it says the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then he comes back, and the word says, before we get to this passage, that he comes back in the power of that same spirit. And now we can pick it up. He goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as was, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were, on, were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So get the picture. He comes up. They give him the scripture. They give him the scroll. He opens it up. It's the prophet Isaiah. And he, he looks through, finds the passage that he wants. He doesn't just like get it and start reading from the beginning. It says in the accounts that he looks for. He gets the whole of Isaiah. He looks through it. He finds this. He reads it. Then he sits down and everybody's looking at him. He's like, this, what I just read? That's me. So it's kind of a, a biblical mic drop moment. And it doesn't seem like it is, right? It seems like he just kind of got up there and he just read and then he sits down, right? It would seem like that was not that big a deal. But the truth is they tried to kill him for doing exactly that. This is the first time we see them actually trying to kill him because this is not a small statement. 
Remember, this is the coming Messiah that we're talking about. This is serious business. Jesus is telling them the thing that you've been waiting for for generations, the God that you have been waiting for to come down to earth with his outstretched hand, that is me. Now, the problem with that is that the first thing somebody says is they look at him, ain't that Joseph's kid? That, that's Joseph's kid, right? And so they're looking at him like, I cannot believe he stood up in front of church and said he's the Messiah. It would, it would not have been crazier than if I stood up here and said, by the way, Jesus is coming back and I'm him. He's here. And I'm taking you and you and you and you, the rest of y'all, not having it. You all would laugh and think I was crazy. They didn't laugh. They tried to kill him. They actually tried to throw him off a, off a cliff because their identity was wrapped up in the coming Messiah. Their lives were wrapped up in the Messiah. Their hope was in the Messiah. They taught their children every day about the Messiah and why he mattered and why it was important. And this is who you are. You belong to the one God, the one true God, and he will send his Messiah to save us. They're in exile. They're under Roman rule. They're struggling. They're having a really hard time. And this guy gets this clown, Joseph's kid, gets up and actually says he's God. And so when you think about, you, you want an idea of just how much this mattered to them. Think about Paul later in the book of Acts. Paul found it perfectly okay to go and persecute Christians who had said the Messiah had come and that it was Jesus. He was dragging them off to prison. He was standing by and he watched them kill Stephen for saying that Jesus was the Messiah. He watched a man die and felt completely justified in that, which is why Paul struggles throughout all of his letters. Every time you see him just kind of call back to that idea that what he thought was wrong was so wrong that he was willing to kill for it, to maim for it, to hurt people for it. He would find out that he was wrong and that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And his life was made and wrecked at exactly the same moment. And he begins to call himself from that point on the chief of sinners because of what he did and what he was consenting to watch happen. But focus on what it is he says. He says in this passage, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, good news, this word good news, it doesn't just mean good tidings. It means, it means good news that makes a person glad. It actually is the picture of how beautiful a person's face gets when they hear the news. That it is something that completely changes who you are. When you hear this news, it brightens you up completely. It's, it's better than a, than, than a person who finds out his wife is pregnant. It's better than a, a grown-up who finds out their kid got into the college that they wanted. It's, it's better than all of those things. It's, it's better than all of it, but it just lights up your face. 
It's amazing to me when I watch babies, one of my favorite things to watch, and, and one of my favorite humans to watch doing this is actually Bob Howard's kid, Jack, who, would, if you can get Jack to smile, your day is made. It just is. Because you just sit there and you look at him and you talk to him, and every once in a while, Simone will say something to him, and then he just... He goes from looking like a grumpy W.C. Fields to this cherub. And you just look at him and you just go, there, there is, my day is made if I can make Jack Howard smile. But this is what that phrase means when it says the good news. It's not just the news itself. It's what the news does to you. But the question I would ask you all is when you think about the good news and when you think about the gospel, when you think about our Christ who came and he lived and he bled and he died and he rose and he's coming again, when you think about the truth of your belief in this gospel, is it good news for you? Or is it something that you're just used to now? Is it something that your identity is wrapped up in? Is it something that you are feeling that is as life-changing the way Paul felt it was life-changing when he realized it, when he got it? It completely changed his life. Are you like Paul where it's like you can see everything differently now? because the scales have fallen from your eyes. And so when you think about how wrapped up Israel was in this good news, you look at this and you realize that it is not simply the news itself or just the way it makes you feel when you see the news. But it is good news, he says, that I am proclaiming to the poor. It is good news to the poor. And that word poor, it means meek and lowly and humble. Doesn't just mean people without money. It, it carries with it the idea that a person would be meek enough and put upon enough, but doesn't want to return injury, but he'd rather carry the injury that is done to him or her. It is those people, Moses is referred to as the meekest of men in all the world on the face of the earth. God hears and he helps and he gives grace to the meek and to the humble. And if you think, before you think that what I am suggesting or saying is that it is, it is God's desire that you get walked all over and abused, this is not the meek that he's talking about. The meek that he is talking about is that meekness that says, that says I, I know that this is hard. I know that this is difficult. I'm humbled by these things. I know that I don't have all the answers. I know that I'm not the only one who can do all the things. The meek, the Bible says, will inherit the earth. And that's hard for us when we think about meekness and we think about lowliness and we think about humility. We think about all the things that we hear about Jesus. We like powerful Jesus. We like strong Jesus. It's kind of hard for us to deal with low Jesus. 
it's kind of difficult for us to imagine ourselves being like meek Jesus. Because we like being independent and self-reliant. and We like being the heroes of our own stories. But who really are the poor? If you wanted to, to nutshell it, they're the ones who understand their need for something and someone outside of themselves. They see themselves not in terms of what they have, but in terms often of what they don't have. The gospel is good news to those people who know themselves to be poor, imperfect, unholy, those who hope for something more and better and greater and newer than what the current world has to offer. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, give everything you have to the poor and you will store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, he's telling him, what I'm offering you is more than what you have. What I'm offering you is greater than what you have. I'm trying to tell you that there's something you don't have. In fact, the exact words Jesus uses is there's one thing you need that you don't have. But the Bible says that he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And the good news was not good enough to tempt him away from his stuff. News of a savior is only good to those who truly believe that they need saving. News that an all-powerful God has shown up on earth is only good news to those who believe that there are some things beyond their own power and control. News that an all-knowing God has come to us is only good to those who believe that there is something beyond our own understanding and calculation. There was a reason Jesus called the poor and the meek and the persecuted blessed in the Beatitudes. Why he said, come as children. Because children know they're children. They know they're too short to reach the top of the counter. And so they ask for help. They know that they don't pay the bills, so they don't even try. They know that what they want and what they need, they're going to get from their parents, and so they go to them. How many times has somebody's kid asked for a puppy? Every time you say no, they keep asking. Why? Because who else am I going to ask? They're not going to go to the neighbor and ask for a puppy. I'm going to keep asking you. You were the puppy giver, so I'm going to keep asking you. And kids understand those things. One of my favorite psalms is a really short one. It's Psalm 131. And it says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel. Oh, everybody in this room, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So like a weaned child, not like a baby, but a weaned child, because a weaned child understands where breakfast comes from, understands who parents are, what people there are that are going to help them. A baby doesn't understand those things. So he says, I trust God the way a weaned child trusts God. And Jesus says, come to me like a weaned child, like a kid. People on the margins can teach us about need, about how to ask for help, about knowing that we have limits, 
about waiting, about hoping, about enduring. A beggar knows who we truly are before God. He can teach us a lot about what we should look like, about what our posture needs to be. I didn't grow up with a whole lot, but I remember the first things that I would hear about God came from my mother who would say that he is the God who can make a way out of no way. She would be, she would be the person who would tell me that he's the God who doesn't run out when you're weak, when you run out of money before you run out of weak. She would say that. And so before I ever studied the scripture, before I ever knew I would be in ministry, I knew that about God from my mom. The gospel is good news to those who put their hope in a God that they can't always see, but in a God that they know is always there. So who are the poor in this passage? Well, he lists them. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. The brokenhearted, the captives, and the prisoners. I'm gonna let Rick unpack captives and prisoners next week, because I wanna spend a little bit of time on the brokenhearted. More accurately, that word for brokenhearted should be rendered broken. Because they're not just people who are sad, they are people who are the crushed ones, the shattered, the outcasts, the depressed, the rejected, the ignored. They are the people that the world considers worthless or worth less. They are the ones who may even see themselves that way. They are the recovering addicts. They are the people who struggle in their daily lives. They are the anxious, the people with mental health issues. They are people who just simply are trying to live their lives, who have struggled their entire lives growing up. They are people with baggage. They are people with stuff. They are people who have been crushed on the inside. And Jesus says, I'm coming to bind up the broken. Now that picture is actually, like most of you know, I broke my wrist, right? And so now I have this, this tape on my wrist, which is genius. I wish I had invested in this company because this stuff is totally genius. But you wrap it around so that the, the wrist, which is very unstable because it's still healing, can actually be usable, actually becomes useful. It actually is something that, that is bound up. And the thing that I love about this passage is that it says that Jesus comes to bind up the brokenhearted. It doesn't say he comes to fix the brokenhearted. And why is that? Because the beauty of the gospel is not so much that Jesus comes here and he fixes us so that we can then be usable, but that he can use us and love others through us even without the fixing because he and his love binds us up and makes us usable and makes us valuable and makes us present and able to be present in the world. I was thinking the other day about a friend of mine who lost her mom and how I've been able to be there for her. The 22nd of December will be the second anniversary of me losing my own mom. But I found that what I have, have become for her is somebody who I, I see her. 
I know what she needs. I know when she needs it. I know how to pray for her. I'm, I'm present in ways that no one else around her can be present for her because we have that in common because I was shattered and I was crushed and that God bound me up and made me usable in the life of another person because of what he's been able to do for me. The good news makes us beautiful as we are. The good news, when I was in my mother's hospital room, I remember talking to her and knowing that she had no idea who I was and that she didn't know my name and that she, she for whatever reason, it was okay for me to feed her and to do those things, but she didn't know me. She didn't know who I was. So I would talk to her, but she really wouldn't talk to me. But I remember pulling out my phone and playing a song called Precious Lord, and it was being sung by this woman named Ladacy, and I, and I played it for her because she used to sing that when she led choir when I was growing up in church. She was the choir director. And she used to sing that song. That was one of her songs that she used to lead. And so I played this song. And when I played that song for her, she just, her face, this person I didn't recognize because she had gotten so old and so so different from the mother I remember, she just, she just closed her eyes and she just said, oh, oh. And her whole face changed. She was different. And she was different because she was hearing this good news, this beautiful news, this precious Lord, take my hand, lead me, help me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn through the storm, through the night. Lead me on to the light, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. That was that was a week before she died. And I just remember just how beautiful she was just in that. It was like a snapshot that I can't forget. I cannot forget that. I want you to consider how beautiful God makes all of us when we know him, when we love him, when we hear this good news, and it is good news for us, when the world calls us worthless or worthless, when they see us as useless, when they look at us and they're not quite sure what to make of us, when we carry around the shattered, broken pieces of ourselves in ourselves with Jesus just binding us up moment to moment, day by day. How beautiful we are when we are simply aware that we belong to someone who loves us. I want you to see this video real quick. And, um, and it is one of my favorite humans in our church. His name is Casey. And today I wasn't quite sure how I felt today. Um, for some reason, I was getting text messages from people saying, you know, hey, Michelle, um, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you more than usual. And I was asking people, pray for me. So I'm sitting in my seat today, and Casey walked up just to pray for me today. And I thought that was fitting and beautiful and wonderful. And I want you to look at this video. 
One of the many things that he, he does is he has a unique way of seeing the world. Um, now that he is without sight, he has a very unique way of being in the world. Um, and what I've been finding more and more, he has a very unique way of interacting within the world, thus a very unique way of spreading joy, spreading love um, uh, to others with them not even knowing it. When he would be going from school to school to school to school, it was always why is, what's, what's his purpose? When I'm walking to school, through school one day, and this principal grabs me and he says, uh, oh, hey, Mr. Strahan, um, you're, hey, I just want to thank you for Casey, because it was a new school. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, he helps out so much in high school. What do you mean he helps out so much in school? He goes, well, he, our problem children, the ones with behavioral problems, we are finding that when we use KC as a reward, either taking them out to, uh, to lunch or taking them out to recess or just playing, you know, he got to play 20 minutes with them out in the field all by themselves, that we get a lot of positive behaviors from these troubled children. And, and so as I try to figure out what his purpose is, um, it's, I look towards, God, what do you got for him? He's your kid. I'm just the loan officer. What do you got for him? And what's his purpose? So we go, you know, um, so when we first got back here to Portland, we find out about the live music scene. To watch Casey go in there, and you, I know you have seen, and Dylan, you may have seen too, but when you see Casey worshiping in church, multiply that by about a factor of 20, and when he gets in front of the, the bands, wherever we're at, It moves people, and they see the joy. They don't, many times they don't know he's blind, and they just see his joy of music. We were in, um, we were in Memphis. I took him to the, um, down on Beale Street, I took him to the International Blues Competition, and this young um, kid jumps off the stage and he's playing the guitar and he's going to this big riff. Right? And he's playing it over his head. Well, all of a sudden, KC, who's over here, know, you know, felt something. And he turned towards the kid. And he put his hands up. And he started walking towards the kid. And they were kind of in the mosh pit. So all these people are around him. And, and the kid sees him. And he starts walking over to him. And he puts his guitar on KC's hands and continues with the riff goes on for about 30 seconds. People are going absolutely nuts. Uh, he finishes, jumps back up on the stage. Um, I'm in tears. The MC jumps back up on the stage and he says to the, the people in the back, he says, um, 
ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you, especially the people in the back, really saw what we saw, but what we saw was the soul of music. And I looked at him and I go, purpose. Uh, for the next two hours, people, all the musicians would come by me and talk to me about Casey and what, how Casey moved them. And then, of course, every time somebody comes up to Casey, he wants to pray over them. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, and he, and he prays over them and prays over them. Um, and so I see a, I see a real joy in Casey being Casey. I guess in Mexico, they consider kids with Down syndrome angels. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that he brings a lot of joy to people. And maybe just for a moment, you're able to get out of yourself and go, you know, maybe I don't have it so bad. Or maybe I should look at things so, you know, somewhat different. This kid seems to be having a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of joy. smart, you'll grow up to be just like him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. The last two things I want you to see about this passage. Jesus is anointed and sent. That word anointed is literally the verb form of the word Messiah. It means to pour oil on, to put oil on. We find Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, near the end of his life. Gethsemane means oil press. And so he's in this place where God is squeezing out of him what he has put in him, and it is an excruciating but beautiful picture when you think about it. The image is striking because you have a God who poured himself out onto the earth in the person of his son. And then you have a son who poured himself out and then who left and poured and left us with his Holy Spirit. But you have a God who pours himself out on the world and for the world. Why? Because Jesus needed to become what he was not for our sake. Augustine put it this way. Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain would thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. And so Jesus poured himself out, and then when he left, he poured himself out into each of us 
with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says in Ephesians. The same Spirit that the Sovereign Lord rested upon his Son. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus anoints us when we believe. That is good news. Why? So that for his sake, we could become what we are not. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news today, November 28th, 2021. And it is good news to those of us who understand that we are poor, that we are broken, that we are captive, that we are prisoners. It is good news to us who are the shattered ones and the crushed ones and the lowly ones. It is good news to us who have had loss, who have had pain, who have had suffering. It is good news to us who need saving. And it may be good news to you, but you don't know Christ. And so as the band comes up here, for some worshiping, I want you to give some thought into your own hearts about what it is you need in this moment. That like the rich young ruler, you are standing before someone and probably next to someone and around some people who are saying to you that there is something more than what you have, that there is something better, that there is someone greater that there is someone who can meet you where you are, that there is someone who can bind up your brokenness, who can make you free. I love that what happens in this passage is he doesn't come and everything gets fixed and it just goes away. We're still here. We're still struggling. We're still broken. We're still wondering. We're still confused. We're still here. But so is he. And so there will be people at these doors who will pray with you if you want to know this Jesus upon whom the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests, this Jesus who was poured out to us and for us, this Jesus who is asking you right now if you want eternal life, if you're willing to reach out to him as he reaches out to you. I'm going to pray. And that question mark that you got going on inside of you, that's him. That wondering, that is his spirit. That is his nudging. That is his pushing. That is his prodding. It is not mine. And so I want to pray for everybody in this room, not just for the people in here who don't know Christ, but for the people that you all know who don't know Christ, that my prayer is going to be that this week you would have an opportunity for the Spirit of the Lord to rest on you and anoint you to proclaim the good news. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you. We love you. We wait for you. We hope in you. Father, I expect you to show up in the hearts 
of the people that you have called your own in this room. I'm looking for you to just put your hands on them and tell them, this is me. This is me. The Spirit of the Lord is resting in front of them, waiting for them to say yes. And Father, I pray for every person in this room in whom the Spirit of the Sovereign God lives, that you would order their steps to be able to speak to people, to see people, to notice people, that we would be a church that would learn from the people that we're so used to ignoring, that we would not walk by this week, that we would stop this week, that we would speak this week, that we would care this week. God, I thank you that you came. I thank you that you loved. I thank you that you continue to love us moment by moment, day by day. I thank you for showing up here today. I bless you, God. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.